Hi guys, it's Laura with the trigger warnings for this episode. Uh, we just have one which is discussing suicide and death and things like existential dread. Um, and just as a reminder, this show is not for kids. So, um, you know, constant vigilance and all that. But enjoy the episode and enjoy your holidays this year. It's going to be a simply wonderful next spring in the barn cellar with 514 baby spiders running around all over the place. Hey, look, it's, hey, a, look, butterfly. it's a butterfly. Reading Rainbow. Welcome to Reading Rainbow. Yeah. But honestly, today it's going to be more like Munch Squad because I'm hungry and I'm eating some chips and guac. So, man. Oh, was that a call out to another podcast? It is. It is. But it's not a sponsorship, so we're not gonna list it. Anyway. <laughs> nope. If you know if you know you know, but if you don't well then you don't know. That's just how it is. Yeah, that's just how it be um, sometimes. Reading Rainbow, what is it, Laura? Well, it's a podcast where we read books that you're supposed to read in high school, middle school, pre K, whatever the other one is, elementary school. <laughs> and we kinda take a deep dive and see what we thought of it, why do we think we had to read it. Um, and do we like it or not? And that's really the most important part is our opinions. Honestly, yeah. Honestly. Well, I mean, this podcast would be nothing without our opinions. Yeah. What did we read this time? We read uh, Charlotte's Web by Evie White. But I'm just going to also, let's just talk a little bit. It's been a while. Yeah, for sure. It's been a whole four days um, since we talked. I just want to, we have something to celebrate. Uh, I just finished like 30 minutes ago my last <gasps> class of my first semester of graduate school. Oh, man. Holla. Woo. Uh, 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 uh. Nice. So I'm going to drink some wine. Listen, people. Uh, uh. <laughs> Congratulations. I didn't even realize yeah. that you were that close. All right, now my mood is really hungry. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking I mean, I a lot that. about soup, and we don't have soup, and I'm not gonna make any today. And um, we've already we, listen. We've already had an episode where we talk about how much we love soup a year ago. It's still true. Actually. Really? Yeah. It was that was our uh, the mouse book. Oh my gosh! It was, it was the tale of Desperado. Tale of Desperado. Yeah. Life is cyclical, dude. Mm-hmm. That's crazy, dude. Everything comes back around. It's just like that one English teacher I had who had the six themes that are in every single book or something or other yeah return and no escape and return and <laughs> mm-hmm. well i've been watching not movies because i'm not a movie person i listen i well yeah Laura, not ugh. a huge movie person i'm not a movie person like it's that's between 90 and like 180 minutes of your life that you watch you sit down and watch one thing and then it's over and that's just too much to me however i will spend like five hours watching a TV show because... Yeah, I was about to say, what about a binge watch? Because, well, listen, there's just more room there. Like, the arcs, like, they have room to breathe. In a movie, it's very compact, and I don't digest that well. And I don't... <laughs> I don't know how else to tell you this. I just... It's psychological. Um, I like TV shows, No, I so. love it. I love it because I'm, like, the exact opposite. Yeah. I love that for us. I love that. It's so on brand. What were we... <laughs> that brings nice. me joy. I'm, I'm glad that brings you joy. Yeah, thank you. It's a good thing this is not a visual podcast because you'd be seeing some wacky stuff. You'd be pretty distracted from what we're discussing today, which is Charlotte's Web, once again. Ah, uh, lo- lovely segue. Yes. Thank you. Um, so let's just start off 
right off the bat. Laura, did you ever have to read this for school? I did. I read it in first grade. Oh. And I don't know, though, necessarily if I read it with my eyes or if they read it to us. I don't know that part. Yeah. I never had to read this, but I've seen the movie. Right. So have I. Actually, I'm surprised that this is not one of those stories that they've made into like a CGI and then a live action and then remade it and blah, blah, blah. Mm, you know? Not yet. Like, not yet. I feel like they would do it in like a Paddington sort of way. And I'd be like, little oh like, no, thank you. <laughs> or, okay, because we were talking about this earlier. Like on my audiobook, they give you a little extra in- information about E.B. White and the process of writing Charlotte's Web. And you read it as one of, I know that you saw this when you were looking for bookbacks, but... Um, the illustrator for Charlotte's Web originally wanted to draw the character Charlotte, who is a spider, which we'll get into later, um, with a woman's face. And I feel like if they made it into a CGI live action, like, the face would be freaking like Angelina Jolie or something <laughs> on, like, a bo- the body of a spider. Oh, my God. Honestly, it would be. It yeah. would be Angelina Jolie because she's, like, cold and hard in exterior, but also, like can play that lovely motherly role and mm-hmm. i feel like that's like charlotte's character where yeah. she is like sometimes tough she's not an enabler but she's also very motherly yeah for sure yeah. but okay before we get into all that tell me your book fact my book fact okay so um mine is more about the process of writing this book uh and this is kind of gonna remind you of another author um mm. that we've talked about before i'll let you think about that and i'll reveal it later so well, actually, I don't know exactly when this happened in sequence, but Charlotte, the spider of Charlotte's Web, uh, is based on a real spider that E.B. White knew personally, apparently, in real life. He said that he once saw a spider lay an egg sack in his home, um, and when he was going to New York City for the winter, he cut down the egg sack and put it in a box and what? brought it with him to New York City, and he left it on his dresser. And then these like eggs all hash and there were spider webs all over his stuff and he was in lo- loving Ew. it he was into it but then he said the person who like cleans his stuff was like no 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 thanks um so then he gave in and finally <laughs> cleaned his dresser but he said but three of them remained behind and he could he knew where their webs were they were like in a cellar so have you guessed who this reminds you of <laughs> who does this who does this bring to mind ellie <laughs> Uh, well, this is what I would call method writing, and yes. it's not necessary, needed, or warranted, or wanted. <laughs> um, but that sounds like my man, Gary Paulson. Yeah! Or Paulson, or whatever his name is. Yeah, because he ate a turtle egg in order to do oh research or whatever for his book. Um, for literally no other reason other than curiosity. Listen, we love learning from the source, um, but do, does literature have to come at the cost of, like, the ecology around you? Does it have to come at the cost of the environment? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm like, that's some, e- that's eco-terrorism. That's yeah. like, I, I mean, I'm just like, it I'm is. like, it's a bold thing. I just think it's very bold of E.B. White to be like, one, for, okay, mm, okay. I'm going to spoil the book already and we haven't even like touched on what it's about. But like, I didn't know that, spiders died before their eggs hatched that Mm -hmm. was not something i knew but even if i did know that i wouldn't be like well i guess the eggs are mine now no like they were put there for a reason and so he takes them bold and kind of colonizing and then he puts them in his house lets them run amok whatever i'm sure that's i'm like i guess that's good for him and that made him Mm -hmm. feel good and whole 
And then someone's like, oh, you can't do that. So then he cleans. What do you mean he cleans out his dresser? He kills the rest of the spiders? He sets them free? Like, do spiders have uh, object memory? Like, are they going to remember him just return? And also, he's like, oh, I know that three are still here. I'm like, you don't fucking know that. There's probably like six billion spiders in your house, dude. Yeah. Listen, this mental floss article did not go into that much detail. Well, not to harp on my man, E.B. White, even more, but also Mm -hmm. to do that. Um, I found via Wikipedia the author fact that <clears throat> White was shy around women, claiming he had, quote unquote, too small a heart, too large a pen. What? Uh, that sounds like some pick me attitude. And that's like, first what is... of all, is that, is that a euphemism for your penis, sir? And then also, are you just too small a heart, too large a pen? So you're like emotionally unavailable? What does that mean? But also, <laughs> I don't understand what he's getting at. Like saying like, oh, I can't enjoy the presence of people of the opposite gender because I like writing too much. What about people who are men? Why can't, why are men allowed to hang out around you when you're writing and not women? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> what is, this doesn't make white, What the hell? Yeah. Oh, hey, here's another fact. In her foreword to Charlotte's Web, Kate D. Camillo, who yes. wrote A Tale of Despero, quotes yes. White as saying, all that I hope to say in books all that I ever hope to say is that I love the world. Well, that's kind of wholesome. Yeah. Good for you, dude. Um, well, let me just go straight. We've, like, talked pretty much about, like, two, like a third of the book. But let me give you guys the Goodreads blurb just to cover a little more. And then we'll get even more from Laura from our summary. Okay. <clears throat> Charlotte's Web by E.B. White. This beloved book by E.B. White author of Stuart Little and The Trumpet of the Swan, is a classic of children's literature that is, quote-unquote, just about perfect. This high-quality paperback features vibrant illustrations colorized by Rosemary Wells. I don't know who that is. Some pig. Humble. Radiant. These are the words in Charlotte's Web, high up in Zuckerman's barn. Charlotte's spiderweb tells of her feelings for a little pig named Wilbur, who simply wants a friend. They also expressed the love of a girl named Fern, who saved Wilbur's life when he was born the runt of his litter. E.B. White's Newbery Honor book is a tender novel of friendship, love, life, and death that will continue to be enjoyed by generations to come. This edition contains newly color illustrations by Garth Williams, the acclaimed illustrator of E.B. White's Stuart Little and Laura Ingalls Wilder's Little House series, among many other books. And blurb, there was a lot there that was not related to the book, but yeah. about the specific edition, so I don't know what that's about, but whatever. Guess so. All right, Laura, wow us with your summary. Yeah. Your well-thought-out planned My summary totally planned you... summary that is right in front of my eyes and not made up at all right now. Okay, uh-huh. so in Charlotte's Web, we've got this little pig named Wilbur, and he's born as the runt of his litter, so that means he's the smallest one. And... This kid, Fern, whose dad owns the pigs, finds out that the dad is just going to go kill the pig. And he, for some reason, he's bringing an axe with him to do so. I don't know why that's the first go-to, but, you know, I'm not a pig farmer. And so Fern's like, nah-uh, this is not cool. You can't do that. So then her, her dad's like, fine, you take the pig. And then she does. So she raises it. She loves him. Wilbur follows her around the house. They, like, love each other. And the dad's like, okay, you can't have it anymore. We're going to sell this pig down the down the road to your uncle. And she's like, wah, okay. Um, so for $6, <laughs> Wilbur gets a new home with a bunch of 
animals like a goose and a gander and sheep and horses and a little rat named Templeton. So <laughs> it's basically like the tale of Despero. Um, uh, yeah, honestly, though. Yeah. Sorry, rats. You're, you're not going to, you continue to not get a good rap. Yeah, still in these not great rap representation here. Um, so Wilbur, he kind of likes it. He likes his simple life. He's got it all planned out. He likes rolling in manure. He likes going and laying in the sun. But he's really lonely. So he's just, like, sitting around being sad. And then he hears a little voice be like, I'll be your friend. And he's like, what? Um, so it turns out this person talking to him is Charlotte, um, a spider who just hangs up in the top and has a really big vocabulary. She teaches him stuff about the, li- the world and his life and everything. And they become really good friends. He loves Charlotte. She loves Wilbur. It's all good. And then one of the animals lets it slip to Wilbur that uh, the reason that he's being fed so well at this nice farm is that they want to eat him. And um, and when winter comes, he will have to be slaughtered and then become dinner or breakfast or whatever they do. So Wilbur is very sad. And that's okay because he's less than a year old, as I mentioned. So it's okay that he can't regulate his emotions. He's just sobbing and stuff. So Charlotte's like, well, I'll save you. And Wilbur's like, how? And she's like... Don't worry about it. I'll work on it. Um, So her big idea is that when everybody's going to bed, uh, she spins a little web. And in this web, it has the word on it, and it says uh, terrific, right? I don't remember what the first word is. Maybe the first word might be some pig. I Also, while you look for that, I want to say that the opening line of this book, actually, I do, even though I hadn't read the book, it's used in examples for fiction writers all the time. Yeah. Because, at least when I was being taught fiction, you know, two years ago, the general rule was, like, don't open your story up with dialogue. But, so, that it's, it's uh, the opening line of this book, which is, um, where's Papa going with that axe, was used as an, as an example of, like, effective ways to mm. open up your story with dialogue, with, like, a line of dialogue. Yeah. So, fun fact, look at me, intellectual. Well, it's either terrific or some pig, I'm not quite sure. Some pig. <laughs> and so the goal here is that the people will, the humans will be so impressed with the pig that they will not kill him. Um, that's in the vague terms. So the people come out and they can't believe it. They're like, oh my God, this is a miracle. And at one point, one of the, the farmer's wife does say, well, the spider's the one who wrote it. Isn't the spider the miracle? And they're like, no, it says some pig. <laughs> so... They, they do this, and they freak out, and they love Wilbur, and he's like, great. Um, Charlotte repeats it, and she calls him ter- radiant, no, radiant, and terrific, and all these things. Um, and it all culminates when they all go to the county fair. Um, so the kids are there, Ferd and her brother Avery are there. They're having the time of their lives. Um, Wilbur is, like, all excited because Charlotte's there, and they win this big prize because he's not the best pig. He doesn't win the pig prize. He wins the special prize where they made a special medal and gave him spe- his uh, farmer special money for being so cool and so miraculous. So special. <laughs> However, Charlotte at this point is very, very tired, and she... Um, is about to lay her eggs. And so Wilbur's all excited. He's like, yeah, you're going to lay your eggs and we're all going to go back home and then the babies will all be ready. Um, But no, unfortunately, this is the point in the spider life cycle where Charlotte will die. So she will die before her eggs are born. Um, So she dies at the fair, but Wilbur promises her that he will take her egg sack with him back to the farm. So he does, um, and that is where Charlotte's babies are born. And there are... 514 babies um, who eventually all fly away. And you think spiders can't fly? Well, they're aeronauts. They uh, spin little webs and then fly away on the wind. Um, But three of them remain. And uh, so then Charlotte's children 
keep Wilbur company for the rest of his long, long life beyond that year. And that is the end of Charlotte's Web. Well, if you have any unanswered questions, that's a trick question because you don't have any. I just did it perfectly. I mean, I do have unanswered questions, but not because of your beautiful summary. Thank Mostly you. this this book, I have a lot of like, I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions too. I will first ask, how much is $25 in this time period? Is that like, because they go to the fair and they get their special prize and their special prize is $25. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is that a lot? Or is it supposed to be like, this is a fair, it's obviously not going to be big money, big cash money. Or is that supposed to be like very significant at the time? Let me see. Well, Charlotte's you know Web I mean? came out in 1952. And according to this blurb, $25 in 1952 is equivalent to $262.22 in 2013. <laughs> okay. I don't know. This what? website really? is, it says $25. Yeah. In 2013 was $200? What the $250. $260 something. Well, okay. See, that makes a little more sense. Because I was just like, $25 to like have the best pig or have the Not most the best pig. pig. Don't know. <laughs> have the, just a really cool My pig. bad. My bad. Yeah. For a super cool pig? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Great. So we answered Laura, that question. My question is, my next question is related. Um, I, this is kind of a writing quirk. So when they get to the, they, he describes Buddy in strange ways. When they, they get to the fair, um, Avery and Fern, the kids, are asking, can we have money? Can we have money? And I'm like, that's relatable. Um, and so it says in here, Mr. Arable gave Fern two quarters and two dimes. He gave Avery five dimes and four nickels. And I'm like, I had to do math to figure out how much they had. So I'm just wondering. And it does. It is even. Don't you worry. They did get the same amount of money. You know, equal pay. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad. I was about to say, like, are they really raising the gender mm-hmm. wage gap in this? Yeah, exactly. And then even when they're handing him the $25, I think it says in there, like, oh, they handed them two $10 bills and one $5 bill. And I just think it's yeah, funny no. that they he bothered to, like, tell us how, <laughs> what exactly. I wonder if it's like a, if it's like a children's book thing where he's like well in case the kids want to practice how to like you know like a math like one of those situational math problems you would get in like elementary school where they're just like if sally has two red marbles three blue marbles and 85 white ones how many marbles does she have all together and you're like yeah i don't know no yeah money math is important so it's good that he's doing money math critical thinking even in this book so thanks evie white okay well then mine my next one is, I really want to know if there's, like, subliminal, or no, not subliminal, like, if there's subtext to the animals and if they represent something. Because, You're thinking, is this, like, like an animal like, farm type situation? A little bit, yeah, I yeah. am. I'm like, you have a pig, a rat, and a spider. I think those are the three that I'm going to focus on. I think that's our trio. You don't, like, Templeton doesn't really play a critical role in the plot, but he is there and he like, inter- he's kind of the downer of the group to give like, I would say that he's, I would say he is integral to the plot. Cause he's like the little gopher. He has to do tasks for them. A lot of the time. You're right. You're right. You're he right. says it himself. He's like, Templeton, do this. Go fetch me words. Go yeah, do this. He does. Blah, blah, blah. Even when there's a moment. So Templeton from the beginning, like the language that they use to describe him is not flattering. No. They're like, he's D he like lives in trash, blah, blah, blah. But he's happy that way. So in that sense, he like it shows that he at least appreciates his own lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But it does also like it paints him in a like you can hear the author voice 
the implied author saying like this is I do not approve of this. I think it's interesting that they point they say specifically like he has no morals, no ethics, no scruples, no blah 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 blah. Um, yeah, which. To a kid, I don't think they really know what that means. I think they probably just assume that means he's mean or rude or whatever. Um, yeah. And that's not necessarily the same thing as having morals. Like, as an adult, I think it would be interesting to have a character with no morals or no scruples or whatever. They have a different moral code. You know, these days, like, morally gray characters or whatever, you know, yeah. are seen as, like, interesting and engaging. Yeah, well, because especially, like, there's scenes where even when the rat does help, he has to be coaxed into it and he's never, like... I don't know. He and I does, don't, he's always don't, in his self-interest. He's never doing something for someone else. Yeah. Out of the so, goodness of his heart. Yeah. So you have these, this rat character, you have this pig and this spider. I'm wondering, like, are the, do they represent, like, countries? I don't know what, what was going on in 1952. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, like, historical context, you know, you know, I mean, it's not uncommon that kids' literature is, I mean, is propaganda mm-hmm. because... You're teaching kids, and so, you know, does the pig represent America? Does a spider represent one country, blah, blah, blah? Or, you know, is Wilbur representative of E.B. White? Because Wilbur also, in order to bring Charlotte's egg sack back to the uh, farm, he carries it in his mouth, which is very noble. But, I mean, at least in that sense, he, like, talked to Charlotte, and she was like, I approve this message in... E.B. White's case, he was like, I assume they approve. Let me take this fucking egg sack. Mm-hmm. Are these animals a metaphor for something? Yeah. No, I think what that is a really think? good question think... to ask because, you know, no book is written in a vacuum, um, even though it seems very, mm-hmm. like, innocuous and stuff. And, it, like, we've talked about this, like, again with Hatchet, where it was seen kind of as, as like, a blank slate. But, like, we know we could still assume this kid was, like, white and middle class and, like, stuff like that. And it's, like, similar with this yeah. book that, like, these characters are probably white and of a certain class. Yeah, because they're the the writers like personifying, adding mm-hmm. human features and humans are not without yeah, race. So, they're yeah. basing it off of something, which is not like in I don't think they're doing it. In, they might not be doing it intentionally, mm-hmm. but they are doing it. I don't really have a theory. Um I'd have to do more research I think on E.B. White and the Times. <laughs> yeah. Um I have a question. Um in the beginning, yeah, Fern is arguing with her dad. She's trying to wrestle this axe away from him and it's like, "Hey, tool safety, don't wrestle axes with people, Mm-mm. especially people who are grown." <laughs> um and then her dad is like, "Fine, you take care of the pig and you see how much trouble he's worth." Um and then he like gives her a pig, but then and she does do a fair amount of work. She actually feeds Wilbur and like cares for him, but her like dad yeah. makes the bed, like the the box that he lives in or something and her, her mom feeds him during the day like her parents are doing mm-hmm. half the work here so and then when as soon as the pig is big enough her dad's like well now we can't keep him so you gotta like go and she's like what so i'm like what lesson what's the point of all this i think i interpret it as just like parent having a soft spot for their kid yeah and so for i think i mean i would imagine that these parents are this farmer is probably not jaded, but he, like, sees a lot of his work as, like, this is part of the job. Like, it's, he does not, I'm, I'm assuming he does not derive joy from killing the pigs, but he is just, like, this is a runt. He's not going to do well. Ultimately, he's going to, like, all these pigs are going to be used for human consumption. Mm-hmm. This pig isn't going to have a great life anyway. They're the runt. We're going to blah, blah, blah. So, I think he was kind of, uh, I'll, we'll use the word jaded, but I don't mean that so, like, charged. Mm-hmm. Or just desensitized? Yeah, desensitized. Yeah. Um, and so then when his, 
child is like, oh, let's save it. He probably gets like a soft spot. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, I like, that's how I interpreted it. And so he may be doing all this work, but he's like, oh, but my daughter's happy. Mm -hmm. I do. Okay. Now that I am looking at it, I kind of see your point is that it's more out of like pity. And I thought it was more punitive Mm -hmm. that it was like trying to teach for a lesson about like life or something. And I didn't really get it. But when I actually look at it, so she says, this is the most terrible case of injustice I've ever heard of. Um, and he says, he almost looks ready to cry himself. All right, he said, you go back in the house and I'll bring the rent when I come in. Then you'll see what trouble a pig can be. With Fern and her relationship with her parents, I get a very strong, I mean, I think you get a lot more scenes and a lot more character interaction between uh, Fern and the dad versus Fern and the mom. The mom doesn't seem very fleshed out. and I. But I'm also like, the, the mom was like, had the right idea. She's like, why do we give a shit about this pig who doesn't do anything but the spider? Like, I'm like, that's, so my unanswered question is like, legit, no one was like, the spider wrote this. What are you talking about? This pig is just standing there and he tries to look radiant and mm-hmm. he tries to be spectacular, but he's like, ultimately, like, he doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, why do we not care about this spider? I'm confused. I don't know why it's, what's wrong with these people. That's a good like, point. Legit, nobody, except for the mom. Yeah, I don't think it's the mom. I think it's Edith who is, like, her aunt or whatever. Oh. I think. I okay. Know. But, no, I think that was so funny that she was like, well, really, it's the spider who wrote it. And they're all like, nah. <laughs> a woman had an idea and they talked over her. That's not good. I also just remembered that the farmer, he brought it up to the priest. And he said, priest, like, or whoever, or pastor, like, this is a miracle. Yeah, and only four of us know about it right now. And the pastor's like, oh, okay, I'll definitely work this into my sermon next week. Talk about a really small town. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it reminds me of, like, Inn of Green Gables, like, very small town. Yeah. I mean, which is probably true, where it's, like, we all go to the same church, and when your pastor person, your whatever guy, mm-hmm. speaks, it's, like, <laughs> he's, like, I was worth, yeah, you're right, or person. Thank you. I was, like, downtown, and I ran into <laughs> yeah. blah, 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 like, you're gonna be met, you're gonna be, like, name-dropped in the sermon because it's so small, and, like, yeah. you're all just in the same town. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you think that E.B. White got a sponsorship for this book? Because I want to read two quotes for you. So this time that he's talking about Wilbur's food. The smell was delicious. Warm milk, potato skins, wheat middlings, Kellogg's cornflakes, and a popover left from this Zuckerman's <laughs> breakfast. And then when all the people show up to their farm to go look at Wilbur, the fantastic pig, um... The Zuckerman's driveway was full of cars and trucks from morning till night. Fords and Chevys and Buick Roadmasters and GMC pickups and Plymouths and Studebakers and Packards and DeSotos with gyromatic transmissions and Oldsmobiles with rocket engines, Jeep, station wagons, and Pontiacs. Why <laughs> do you think he's getting Name paid for this product placement? I feel like the Kellogg's thing is very, like, all-American. I feel like it's just all... it's It's all speaks to the times. If he, you know, if he had written, like, and then we all sat down to eat... Like, uh, I don't even fucking know other brands of cereal that aren't American, but, but like Kellogg is like, I feel like a cornflake, Kellogg cornflakes is like hearty American, whatever. It's, oh, it sounds like small rural America. Yep. Okay. So my last unanswered question is from the little section in the back of my audiobook where it gave a little context as to E.B. White's writing process was for this. And... He said, so when Wilbur is leaving Charlotte for the last time and he knows that he's going to die, he said that the question that he asked himself as he was writing this scene was, what are five words you would say to save a friend? 
And I'm like, that is so what? heavy for this scene. And also a question to ponder at all. Like, yeah, your friend's on the brink of suicide. What are you going to, what are the five words you're going to say to your friend? I'm like, Evie White, why are you tormenting yourself with this? This is like heavy shit. Yeah. Oh my God. So I was shook. I don't even, I don't even, I'm, I'm not asking for an answer to this question. I'm just like, can you imagine sitting there? But like to put your, put that pressure on yourself, like geez i think it just goes to show how like serious this book is like it's there are chapters where it just describes like fern and her brother went on the swing and had a great afternoon um but like it's a very serious story with like dealing with death and like a very like it's an on-screen death okay we're going into unintended takeaways and judgments right now i agree when wilbur finds out that he's gonna be slaughtered because Mm -hmm. that's his purpose on this farm for the humans. There, li- there was a line or something that was like, only two months old, Wilbur didn't want to live on this planet. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. You you be writing that in the books and the kids be reading that? Mm-hmm. Like, I was surprised how serious it got with like existentialism and death. I think that, and this is not necessarily something that you would teach to like first graders, but I think it's interesting parenting that's shown in this book, Fern's mom and dad, as well as Charlotte as a parent, I think. Because as we, yeah, as we talked about, you know, Fern's dad um, was, realized he was kind of desensitized to this, like, grave injustice and decided to, you know, like, consider his daughter's perspective and, like, you know, help her raise the pig. Her mom, it shows, she was really concerned because, so Fern can hear the dialogue between all the animals, but, like, can't talk to them. I don't really know. Which I think is... It's, it's, it's fine. I'm like fine with that. It's just kind of weird. So, but she tells her mom like, oh yeah, the, the uh, sheep said this and the Charlotte said this. And her mom's like, okay. <laughs> but then her mom goes to their doctor to ask for advice. And the doctor, he handles it really well. Cause she explains, like she says she could talk to animals and he's like, well, I never heard anyone say anything, but that proves nothing. It's quite possible that an animal has spoken to me and I just didn't catch their mark because I wasn't paying attention. Um, paraphrasing. Children pay better attention than grown-ups. If Fern says that the animals in Zuckerman's barn talk, I'm quite ready to believe her. Damn. Progressive doctor. Yeah. I think it's, um, and I don't, you know, you could talk about this, like, psychological techniques and whatnot. I don't know about those. But I think, I just think it's a really nice example of parenting because the mom, like, listens to this outside perspective and accepts it. She she considers that, like, good advice and lets Fern be. And because I think the doctor just points out, like, you know, she won't be like this forever. She is making more friends. Like, because her mom was worried about not hanging or for not spending enough time around other people. It is a boy. I know. It's very heteronormative. Um, yeah, because that was my judgment. All right. Listen. I'll, I'll let you finish and then I'll go. I'll yeah, no. Sorry. It is very heteronormative. But he does point out, like, you know, give it some time. It's not going to be like this forever. Um, yada da. So. And then final parent, Charlotte, is great. I love her. Because um, she's a parent to Wilbur. Mm-hmm. She's a parent to her eggs. I think I think if you were tr- really like thinking hard about this, you could say that Charlotte sees Wilbur as the child she gets to raise when she won't actually get to see her babies grow up herself. Because mm-hmm. um, like I think what stuck out to me was that um, whenever she used a word he didn't know and he asked about it, she would always just like answer it right away. Like he said, like what's gullible, what's salutations, what's versatile, um, and that is just very like nice. You know, I see her as a parent beyond a friend because there's things that she's willing to shield him from. Because he's so young. He's like, well, um, how are you going to save me? She's like, don't you worry about that. That's my burden to bear. Um, and then when she is ready, she's getting more tired. She doesn't really tell him mm-hmm. about the death. I think to like not let him think about it so much. What were you going to say? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. About that. I agree. And I think that she also does a good job of 
not making Wilbur depend dependent on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he's like, I'm afraid. And she's like, you can do this. I might not be able to go to the fair with you. Like, you need to, like, I'm telling you right now. Yeah. And you can still do this. So, mm-hmm. you know, she's like, and maybe that's her preparing him for her death. But also, mm-hmm. I mean, I also think that's a good parenting thing of, you know, like, you're not trying to make your child codependent on you yeah. all the time. You're not trying to do um, things for them. Mm-hmm. That, like, the ending where she's telling him, like, she said, you're going to survive the winter and you're going to, I'm like, I'm crying thinking about it, actually. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really like, sad. You're going to hear the, su- the birds in the spring and you're going to, like, see the summer again. Like, you're going to do all these things. Like, that's a classic, like, goodbye forever parents, <laughs> you know, parents. Yeah, oh, it's just so sad. <laughs> okay, but here's my yes. judgment now. Okay, great. And you already touched on it, but yeah. we almost made it through without a romantic relationship being implicated on kids. I know. But then we get freaking Henry What's-His-Face, mm-hmm. Henry Kissinger, or whatever his name is. Yeah. And I'm like, it and it, it would be one thing if it was like, oh, and my friend Henry. But it's like they have this whole, they, like there are a couple scenes devoted to Fern and Henry going on the uh, Ferris wheel. Loopy Ferris wheel. Um, and like sharing a moment. I'm like, these kids are freaking seven and eight. Or yeah. whatever they're, I don't know. But I'm like, can't they get... Can't the mom just be worried about her daughter making friends and yeah. not, like, life partners or whatever? Like... Right. So I, that was my one judgment was, like, a lot of the time romantic relationships aren't necessary. But that's the cynic in me. But yeah. especially for this eight-year-old kid to, like, mm-hmm. need to find a loved interest. And, like, shouldn't she be interested in boys soon? And it's like, why? No. <laughs> like, like, no, I she shouldn't. Know. Like, why does that... I don't know why that needs to be covered when we're already getting a very, a very, um, what's it, satisfying and fulfilling relationship between Wilbur and Charlotte. Yeah, I was just like, like, she could make other friends, but it's also okay for kids to want to be alone. Like, that is, that happens. <laughs> but like the doctor said, like, it doesn't, always, it won't always be that way, so just chill out. It's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. so, of course I say this, like, not being a parent. I'm sure as a parent, sometimes it's not easy to chill out. Sorry, parents. I'm also not trying to be, like, as a parent. Right. But I understand the tunnel vision you can get with yeah. people that you care about. Um, I have one last judgment. Uh-huh. And it's that I hate the name Charlotte because I have a really hard time spelling it every time. I never spell the name Charlotte right, and I'm like, I don't understand. Oh, my God. I love the I don't know why Charlotte. it's so hard for me. I know. I love the name Charlotte, <laughs> but I hate typing the word Charlotte yeah. because I'm like, I don't know how to spell this name. It's the same thing with Phoebe. Oh, okay. Because I have to spell it like Phoebe, because that's how it's. <laughs> yeah. It's got the e in front of the o, and I get really confused. Yeah. And so for this one, I'm always like, I I know it sounds like oh Charlotte, mm-hmm. but it's like Charlotte, and I'm like, ah, it's see fucking that. stupid. So, uh, so that's not really a judgment on the book itself. I just a judgment on my own spelling capabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my last judgment is that yeah, it has good vocabulary and. Like, they always explain what the mm-hmm. hard words mean. As far as takeaways, I don't really know what we learned. I don't know what you teach for... I don't know what you teach first graders. Um, I mean, I think there are parts of it that are very, like, kind of heavy-handed education. Not in a yeah. bad way. But, like, there's money maths, and then there's, like, just these introducing vocabulary into these yeah. kids. I think you could argue that an intended takeaway is the emotion of grief and, like, losing someone. Because I think that's what Wilbur goes through. Mm -hmm. And so, in that sense, I guess I understand why his character isn't as complex as maybe I'd like it to be. Because Mm -hmm. if 
maybe Wilbur is supposed to be the stand-in for the reader, mm-hmm. and therefore they don't want to make it too complex. They're like, no, you, reader, are to be Wilbur, so we're not going to throw in too many things because you're probably going to bring your own mm-hmm. like experiences and trauma and baggage into this character. So. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I could see that argument being made. I think he did a good depiction of how, just always showing, like, reminding us how, like, young Wilbur is. Him having experiences that maybe at, when I was six, like, seemed natural, but, like, now don't, like, I have to be reminded. Like, how, um, yeah, like, he didn't know what was going to happen at the end of winter. And what it did, it seemed like the worst thing in the world. And, like, that is probably what it feels like when you're, um, probably, I remember, <laughs> when you're a kid and you realize that um, as well. And um, I, I'm thinking of the scene where he... Um, so he sees Charlotte spinning a web, and he's like, oh, I'm going to do that, too. And so he, like, tries to by, like, jumping off a pile of manure uh, a couple times and, like, hurting himself. Then Charlotte's like, you're not going to be able to do that, so you should not hurt yourself to try doing it. Um, I think that's, like, that's a lesson kids have to learn eventually is that, like, or I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's not because I'm not trying to say, like, oh, there's some things you just can't do. But it's like. I mean, I think that I have no problem saying that that's a takeaway yeah. for kids to have of, like, you have limitations, yeah. which I don't think is a good or a bad thing. And rather than saying, rather than looking at that and say, oh, there's, here's all the things I can't do. Yeah. It's here are all the things that I can do mm-hmm. that others may not be able to, but I like, sure. It's not, I have more privilege than the other person, but I just have my own privileges. Yeah, sure. And I guess if you went further, you could be like, yeah, everybody has worth, even if they can't do certain things, you know, you could take it mm-hmm. to yeah. that point too. Wow. Wow. Nice takeaway guys. <laughs> I think even like with Templeton, they do that mm-hmm. because Despite giving him, I don't know. I have so many mixed feelings about Templeton. Yeah. Only because I he doesn't have any redeeming qualities, which I understand when like characters don't have to. But I I feel like it wasn't an intentional move to to make Templeton irredeemable. I think they were just lazy and weren't considering yeah. the implications of painting this rat as this bad guy. Because I know it's dumb, but this is the second rat that we see. I know. That is like. <laughs> horrible and so i think that does say something in american culture mm-hmm. like what a rat is and what they represent except for ratatouille beloved oh yeah i think also i mean if we want to get symbolic i think another intent to take away is it's not a great message about how to deal with people who are different yeah i think the biggest thing for me is like i don't i don't want to toot my own horn but like i read templeton and i i draw from I I draw my own conclusions about him as a complex character yeah. but I don't think that kids are doing that no. and I'm <laughs> and I'm suspicious of EB White's motives of yeah. having a character like Templeton in your in his book yeah cuz so, well, cuz the, the rat just is, me not trusting him yeah cuz I mean I it's dangerous cuz that can be a stand in for a lot of things like people who are different people who act or think differently or like mm-hmm. have different habits people who are outcast yeah, yeah people in any way it could be like class and race and like all these other things or it's teaching kids that it's okay to think poorly of people who are different from you, in a sense. Um, it's othering people in a negative way. I mean... But othering! There you go. So, yeah, I think it just makes me nervous, and that's why I'm like, mm-hmm. mm, yeah. I don't trust your E.B. White. So, obviously, like, Fern and Wilbur are friends, or, you know, however they can be. But, like, Charlotte and Wilbur are friends. Um, but then Wilbur also considers all these other farm animals his friends, um, when they're, like, He's not like as super nice naive. to him as these other people. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I think it's either he's super naive or I'm super jaded. Yeah, or both. <laughs> I'm just like that is a strange lesson because uh, I think one of the one of the things I had to learn growing up is that not everybody has to be your friend. Not everybody like has to yeah. like you, blah blah blah. And also to like to treasure those who do act like friends to you. 
of 10, what would you rate this book and why? Um, I would say, yeah, a seven. It tackles some pretty heavy things and it's very bucolic, which is one of my favorite words because it sounds kind of gross, but it means related to the countryside. (laughs) Bucolic to me sounds like an ear infection. Yeah, like it doesn't sound nice, but it means like rural and countryside places. Like deceptively straightforward, but still we pulled all these like takeaways and stuff out of it. But Fern, um, her character felt like a little flat. I don't know. Okay, so I'm struggling here because I like... I would think I would give it a higher rating. But yeah, just something just didn't make sense. Why can't Charlotte get credit for her web? I know. She's on the title of the book. Okay, no, that is a really good point. Charlotte's web is the title of the book, but our main character is this male pig. Yeah. And like, and this farmer man. And like Fern starts out kind of strong, kind of peters out. Charlotte dies. Yeah. So, hmm. And so, mm, okay. Well, I'm going to go into my rating, which is a four out of 10. Oh. Which and it's because it's not that I didn't enjoy maybe reading it, but I am, it's kind of giving me Giving Tree vibes. Yeah. Which, when you first read Giving Tree, the, mm. there are blatant messages, but then there are subconscious messages that aren't what I would call uh, healthy and or um, setting you up for success to create a secure relationship with other people. Mm-hmm. Um because giving tree is like giving from yourself and it's also like why would you surround yourself with people who are just constantly taking from you why is like the tree is symbolic of uh the tree has also been like um compared to like bipoc characters mm-hmm. who are just there to serve the protagonist or something so i'm wondering like i'm wor- uh, i don't know why but i'm worried that like Charlotte is just that. She's a device mm-hmm. for Wilbur to come. He's She's like the manic pixie dream girl, but mm-hmm. in a friendship role for this character to ha- come to their journey. And yeah. then she dies. And then she goes away. Like in The Giving Tree, you have this tree. But I like reading children's books because my little brain can can take the surface level, which is what a lot of, I assume, kids are taking from it, and then take a deeper dive and say, I'm still, ta- I'm still getting something from this. Mm-hmm. Also, I do question the merit of teaching this, like, to kids and, like, adults. Because, like, even even say you got the permission from the adult, like, oh, this book deals with death. I'm like, is that going to be okay? Like, you don't know necessarily how the kid's going to react and how that's going to affect them. Like, I don't know. I think that. But at the same time, like, you know, kids, just like everything else in life, like, kids will be exposed to things eventually. And, like, um, you could also argue that it's, like... Because we talked about this before, like, school is, like, supposed to be a safe and structured place to learn about things and discuss, like important things so in a way it's also a good place to do that okay honestly I, the fact that you you just said it so plainly you're like the spider's name is the title of the book <laughs> and then the cover of the book is freaking fern who like we never see and then wilbur's like kind of in the corner next to fern but like the cover's deceiving yeah actually this is should be called plagiarism <laughs> wilbur's taking credit for the spider's web that's right above him that clearly he did not we have seen in the book evidence that he could not spin a web <laughs> I would recommend based on this book, Once Upon a River by Diane Setterfield. There's several plots in this book. Um, and like content warning, there's like a death of a child. But also one of those many plots is this guy like having been separated from his like most favorite pig. And there's all this stuff about pigs oh. being smart and pigs like 
having personalities and like how we love this pig and how it was like you knew it. Just a lot of like a lot of praise about pigs and a lot of complex pig characterization in this book. And it's like such lush prose and it's such lush storytelling lush about storytelling. Prose. Listen, wow. it's a good book. It's a book I would consider buying actually. Um, <gasps> Put it on your uh, bookshop. My wish list. You're right. Um, What's the bookshop? Listen to the end. I am recommending a children's book that I grew up uh, reading, and it also traumatized me, but it's like a core trauma memory, so I am going to recommend it. Uh, It's called Gentle Willow, A Story for Children About Dying by Joyce C. Mills. And it is about a squirrel who loves a willow tree, and that willow tree gets sick and dies. There, I don't know if there's a right way to go about bringing it up, but for me, like, it was not a harmful experience. Like, it, again, it was an introduction uh, about dying for me as a kid, so that's what I recommend. Uh, nice. But Laura, tell me what what are you currently reading? I'm reading The Princess Diarist by Carrie Fisher, and that's it. Yeah. Okay, my list of things I'm currently reading is also pretty short. I finished all of my textbooks for the semester, so I'm technically reading nothing because I also reached my 100 books in a year, Woo! and I've decided to, like, never read again. But I'm technically currently reading The Collected Poems of Chika Sagawa by Chika S- Sagawa, um, and then She of the Mountains by Vivek Shreya, but I've been reading those for about five months now. So what have you read since last time, Laura? Hench by Natalie Zeno Walshots. Hobbin, The Deaf-Blind Woman Who Conquered Harvard Law by Hobbin Girma. The Parker Inheritance by Varian Johnson. Batgirl Year One uh, by a lot of people. The Weight of Our Sky by Hannah Alkoff. Get a Grip, Vivi Cohen by Sarah Capit. Wishful Drinking by Carrie Fisher. Field Guide to the Haunted Forest by Jerry K. Anderson. And A Children's mm. Bible by Lydia Millet. And I've... So my reading goal has changed a lot, but I beat it again, so it's it's... It's up there, right? <laughs> well, for me, I, like I said, I finished Writing for Emotional Impact by Carl Inglesias, which was a textbook. Uh, writing the TV drama series by Pamela Douglas, which was a textbook. And then I listened to David Sedaris's latest book, A Carnival of Snackery. And then I went to go see him two weeks ago. Ooh. And I do want to say it was amazing. However, I will caveat, David Sedaris is aging with his audience, which is not a bad thing. But his audience is, like, middle-aged white people. Okay. So meeting him was not like it was before, Mm. but not a bad experience, but it was just, like, not like it was before. And that's all I'll say about on this pod, just in case he ever listens to this and thinks that I'm dragging him, because I'm not, and I still love him very much. Mm. Mm. That brings us to the end of the podcast. Um, if you liked anything ever, um, you can connect with us on our email or our Twitter. Um, Laura, do you want to do the honors of spelling it out? Of course. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Our email is readingnotreading at gmail.com, which is spelled R-E-A-D-I-N-G-N-O-T-R-E-A-D-I-N-G at gmail.com. And our Twitter handle is at sign. Red not read pod spelled at sign R E A D N O T R E A D P O D. 
And that's it. Yes. And we were talking about this earlier, but we were talking about maybe adding something to our bookshop, but some of our listeners don't know what that is, maybe, or maybe they just hate us. Laura, explain. Sure. So bookshop. Do, do everything. Bookshop.org is a book shopping website. With any purchase, there is a contribution made to independent bookstores um, that are part of the organization. And since we have an affiliate link, if you use our link to buy books, we also get a commission whenever you make a purchase. Um, so check that out. And if you would like to look at our dashboard a little bit, you'll find some fun mm-hmm. things like recommendations based on podcast books, um, links to the books if you've never read them before in your life, as well as wish lists for both Eliora and me, Laura. In case anybody ever Eliora. needed one. Yeah. Is that not who you it. are? Mm, sure. Okay. That is who I am. Um, very good. And if you are interested in listening to any of our back catalog or finding any of anything, I guess, really related to us, you can visit our website, which will be in the episode show notes. Woo. But I think that... That ties her on up, and, and that brings us to the last episode of our second season. Ah! Which, it, honestly, it feels like nothing. It feels like the first season was, like, so long, and this one's just like, oh, another one? Okay. <laughs> Give me another blue I ribbon. Know, okay. it's, um, I do want to say, y'all, like, keep listening, because season three, I'm hoping we're going to have a couple changes. Couple changes and around be here. exciting. So... I hope everyone has a good end of their 2021 or whenever you're listening to this. I don't know. Just yeah, just have a great year. In, in like two seconds when you flip to our next episode, of course, and continue to binge, binge listen to us. Yeah. But um, on our next episode, we are going to just, you know, start it the way we ended it with uh, The Trumpet of the Swan by E.B. White. Woo! <laughs> wow, can't wait to drag this man in 2022. We're going to read about a little... I think the kid in this is Asian. So we're going to read about a little Asian kid who meets a trumpet. No, meets a swan. Meets <laughs> 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 a trumpet. <laughs> That'd be so funny. I don't know what kind of book that would be. I don't know why that just got me so... <laughs> okay, Bye! <laughs> Okay, bye.